in order to? Uh, no, only one that I learned on this show, and it was what Ian Campbell shared it with me, and it's Squitch Eyes. Uh, so the downtown area is known as the old hunting grounds of the Squamish people. Mm-hmm. Squitch Eyes. Squitch Eyes. Yeah. And that's something Ian Campbell was interested in doing, too, was doing more research on the place names of Vancouver and reclaiming them. The other one was uh, a few years ago they wanted to change the name of Stanley Park back to its original name, which was Kwai Kwai. Kwai Kwai. And the people of the city didn't want it. It didn't get approved uh, because I don't know why. They wanted to re- have it remain Stanley Park. So my friend Aaron Point, who's Musqueam, said, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Why not? That's a good one. What else can you say, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know that um, Stanley Park was the original village of the, um, what's it called now, North Vancouver? Anyway, when they wanted to build... Made, make that a park they uh, moved the people to where it is now. Across. Oh, they relocated them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're facing here is relocation or displacement uh, which also changes everything your relationship to the land and to the language and the community. Yeah, and hopefully we could work on uh, restoring that and decolonizing the way um, you know, decolonizing the way people think just by adding a place name. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough back home that most of our place names are anglicized versions of our original names. Oh, yeah.
Welcome to the Arts Report for April 23rd, 2014. Tonight on the show, we have poet Diane Tucker in the studio to talk about her new book, Bonsai Love. Arts reporter James Connell will be in later to tell us about Ballet BC's new production, UN Slash A. And I'm going to talk about the best play I've ever seen, Killer Joe. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. It's a beautiful day at UBC. The cherry trees are out, and it's one of the nicest times in Vancouver to see the beautiful pink blossoms everywhere. And so I just want to get right into it. I'm excited to have Diane Tucker in with us. Hi. Yeah, we've had this plan for quite a while, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so welcome. And Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, so you're here to talk about your new book, and you've got an event coming up like an opening. Yes, a book launch. A book launch. That's what it's called. Like a rocket. (laughs) Yay. Um, And that's April 27th at the Cottage Bistro. Yep, on Sunday. Um, We'll start about 7. Good. And uh, I recommend coming early for dinner. The food's good. And yeah. I've never been there. Oh, it's good. But there's often things happening. There's Yes. Oh, just the last couple of years, I would say, they've really adopted a lot of literary events and they're very accommodating and it's a nice space. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Ah, oh, well, I'm a native Vancouverite. I grew up in southeast Vancouver, which, and I'm still here, <laughs> which apparently is unusual. Yes. Um, I went to UBC and graduated uh, in 87, which uh, with a BFA from the creative writing department. And um, since then, I've done various jobs, uh, mo- but mostly uh, raised my two kids, who are both now actually at SFU as students. And um, and this is Bonsai Love is my fourth book. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. So you 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 studied writing, and then you've only written poetry, or do you write prose as well? I have written prose. My third book was uh, a novel, a young adult novel that came out in two thousand nine, called His Sweet Favor. Um, I, I I wrote a novel, but I don't think I'm a novelist. Mm-hmm. A novelist is someone who keeps writing novels. <laughs> so far, that was the only one. Yeah, and I have I've written some drama as well. Oh, had a play really? produced last fall. Yeah. Oh, excellent! So, so um, yeah. you're a writer. I guess so, a real yeah. writer. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, I have some questions for you just about how you go about it, um, like the writing process. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. tell us a little bit, like. I don't know. I was just realizing today as I was preparing this, I don't know anything about poetry at all. So maybe you could just like, what is poetry? Why do we like poems versus poems with music? Like what's well, good about that's poetry? That's actually a good question. Why do we like poem? Why do would someone like poems versus song lyrics, mm-hmm. as you would say? Um, it's not as much a part of our community life as it used to be say like today is the 450th anniversary of Shakespeare's birth Yay! Um, and in those days for most people poetry and which were more similar songs were a a very regular part of everybody's everyday life Mm -hmm. it was how things were passed down how things how information was passed around um it, it's not so much anymore. Unfortunately, it's become sort of the province of a, sometimes people would say an elite group of people, poets writing for poets and stuff. But I don't think it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge uh, slam 
poetry culture in Vancouver, which is a different kind of poetry than I write, but it, it connects people to words and it's an oral culture. Um, I think that we use it more than we know. I mean, every time you use an idiom, when you tell someone that something easy was a piece of cake, it's, it's a metaphor, it's an image. It's just been softened and made familiar by use. But it's, it's the same thing that poetry does, but a poet just does it more intentionally, more intensely, and with more structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that reading uh, the kind of poetry that I write requires quiet and some time, which our culture does not give us as much of, as you can understand, yeah. right? Um, we're, we're, our brains are filled with distraction and busyness. And so I think poetry is a real... Uh, antidote to that mm-hmm. yeah so you don't just blast through it like you, you sit and sort of chew on it for lack of a better word you you really have to mm-hmm. yeah yeah you have to slow down your mind and yeah and listen and think and yeah you do so it's a feminine versus kind of a masculine can... yeah I, I mean i wouldn't say so mm-hmm. because yeah i i don't know i, I wouldn't I, I don't like to take personality traits and like tell men they can't have those yeah. <laughs> but but um perhaps it's a in the last say 150 years since the industrial revolution maybe it's a a, a trait that men have been told mm-hmm. that is more feminine right yeah i guess i'm just thinking of sort of the like maybe the the idea that um like what we call feminine is more reflective right not passive but reflective it has been traditionally yeah. yes but yeah. but you don't agree oh no not at all. Wow, right. I, um, I think culturally that's what a lot of people are told. Yeah. But, um, and it's ironic because there is a, there is a lot, you know, there's still um, many of the main poets in North American cultures are men. Mm-hmm. So to say that, it, the, the evidence doesn't bear it out. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's not fair to men. Okay. Frankly. <laughs> I stand corrected. Oh, no, no. I don't want to, you know. Yeah, no, but it's a good conversation but it, to have. Absolutely, culturally, mm-hmm. um, it's something that that I think if you're not if you're not thoughtful about it, if you don't think about it as a specific issue, mm-hmm. you might in the air there's that sense of things that are slower and more reflective might be more feminine. Yeah, and even if they are up to now, I would like to say to men, you can have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, and you, I mean, I want to talk more about this, but the Pablo Neruda quotes in your ah. book, he's like that, right? Oh yeah. Um, reflective and romantic but then i don't know very little about poetry but i was exposed to robert lowell the yes, poet yes. and he's very oh intense yes and you know yes he is and and that I, I i don't know whether my reading is broad enough to say this for sure but in my reading i think in some poets that's a very american right. thing it's american cultural thing we also have very strong traditionally sort of masculine poets in, in say Irving Layton who is now passed away but he was very traditionally I am the man and I am strong and I want to tower over you <laughs> and he felt that very much he had a great ego it lent strength to his poetry um and so those traditional things exist but there's kind of all the shades in between yeah yeah oh good so like this one is about love yeah and is it I think I read somewhere in here, it's sort of an arc of a love story. Yeah. So from the beginning, like, explain that to me. Okay, so um, 
it is if you if if you if it helps you to read the poems, I have arranged them so that they can be read as a, a sort of a love story, a love affair from the beginning to the end and sort of the aftermath in one person's view. Um, if you find that confusing, I'm you know just read it as a series of poems. But if you use your imagination, I think you can. So from initial meeting and attraction to being thrilled with each other to not so great things are over. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, it's nice to, because normally we think of that in kind of a cynical way, but it's oh, nice yeah. to kind of honor that process. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. 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 Well, you said you were going to read some. Do okay. you want to read one now? Sure. And sure. then we'll get back to talking about it. Sure. So this is Diane Tucker. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I, th- I picked this one because it's set in a, a college biology class. Biology class. The circulatory system of the rat was too small, arteries thready and ruinable by study, so they shipped us bullfrogs. These ones three times the size of the rats, their Louisiana hearts big enough, their veins and valve connections more visible. On each frog's belly, cuts had been made that opened its torso like a book, front cover and back, and its story was all there on one deep page. We read it from beginning to end, the blood chapter anyway, though all their blood had been poured out to keep the lab clean, dissector's hands unstained. In the lab's remaining minutes, we could read whatever else of the frog we wanted, so we read the food chapter, our scalpels tracing slits across each beastie's tightly packed stomach. And there, book within a book, curled a crayfish, bigger than a man's thumb, its many legs and eyes on stalks, perfectly preserved as well, swallowed, but not a jot digested. Poor bullfrog, or not, his last moments spent snagging and slurping down this fine crustacean fillet, guts up on the lab bench, his elegantly curved chin a dead, shiny gray in the flat classroom light. What would we, the dissectors, divulge from our dark body cavities if you got us pinned to that waxen slab? What would you find stuffed in our 19-year-old guts? The last things we took in before they got us, I imagine. Swollen, overworked hearts, fresh as the night we snapped them shut inside us. Arms and legs that held us close, spines of jelly, larynxes choked with the unsaid and the unrepeatable. What crazy school let us, eyes staring, tongues dry and graceless, lips bruised with backroom kissing, brains red and puddled in our anxious pants, peek into the books of the soft and harmless with handfuls of small, sharp objects. Yay! I really like that. Like, as I was sitting there listening, it was like all these, you know, suddenly the frog that I dissected in school hmm. came back to me viscerally. Oh, wonderful. You know, and, and just that image of the, what was it, the heart, worn out hearts. And what was the thing you said before that? What page is it on? It's, it's one of the first ones. It's on page 11. Um, yeah. like and Overworked just, hearts. Yeah. And just what would you find if, you know, they dissected us today in our stomachs? And just yeah. all these great, like... Sometimes it's images or nostalgia or thoughts to think about. So mm-hmm. it's it's great to be read to as well. Like oh, I that, think yeah, it's it gives it a different layer. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. If 
if I was dissected today, people would find coffee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a lot yes. of coffee. I would be fairly full of coffee as well. <laughs> yeah. So what is your practice like in terms of your writing? Like, do you have a discipline? Do you write every day? Is it inspiration? What, what works for you? I had a much more strict sort of uh, daily routine when my kids were younger and I was taking them to school and picking them up. And it structures your time quite mm-hmm. a lot. The last few years, I haven't so much. But now I've, I've, I've trying to get back into a better routine. I write, every, I would say every, at least every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to write better these days out away from home. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of coffee places I like to go to and can probably usually write for a couple of hours at a time. It's a pretty intense process. And I also walk a lot. So uh, uh, writing after a long walk is a good thing. I think there have been a lot of writers uh, who've, walking as part of your process you think and walk yeah I was reading a book uh by the psychologist who sort of coaches creativity uh, in people and he talks about this thinking process like you have to think first and then write and sometimes people say oh it just comes out of me and he's like they just don't notice that they're really thinking about it doing something else and this other part of their brain is always bubbling away it's true yeah that's you know yet lots of people write you know, every week, but they don't follow through. I'm one of those people. So that's amazing yeah, that it's, you do. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, that's where it becomes work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always the part you like um, of any job, even creative work. And then there's the part that you, you, you sit down with what you've loved to write afterward, and then you have to deal with it. Not a lot of writers, you know, we, we don't love the whole marketing process and everything. Some people do, but a lot don't. And but it's part of the job. Mm -hmm. And I think once you've been published a little bit and you see the satisfaction of that, that's a great impetus to uh, I mean, even published so far as someone reading your work that say uh, not your mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and recognizing it and liking (laughs) my mom is not even listening today. Uh, No, I don't mean your mom. specifically. Yeah, yeah. Not someone, you know, who will tell you you're wonderful. Yeah. What which mom should do. Um, but you know, when you, when you get that, that feedback mm-hmm. that's, that someone's connected with your work, um, you're willing to do some work to get that again. Yeah. It feels mm-hmm. good. Yes, definitely. One of the things that you've done is at the beginning of some of the poems, you've included quotes mm-hmm. by, um, other poets, mostly Pablo Neruda. There, there are a couple of Neruda ones. Yeah. And what did you like, like what drew you to include him as part of your book well sometimes the poem itself is is like a a response to his work Mm -hmm. so um read neruda off and on the last few years as well i think everyone should but uh as definitely if you want to write good poetry he's one of the people that's up there that you should read especially in love poetry some of the best it's brilliant yeah poetry um so usually when there's an epigraph um the poem itself is a response to having read that line or that poem that it's in. Okay, so that's a convention, an epigraph, yeah. to have a bit of text. Yeah. And then yeah, sort of a further kind of, reflection on the yeah, text. Yeah, I like this epigraph. It's by Robert Bly. Oh, okay. Which one is that? Um, it's under the fourth direction. Yes. It says, I do not know what will happen. I have no claim on you. I am one star you have as guide. Others love you. Oh, that's a that's where there's a, a gloss that that um, that that form. I like Robert Bly a lot. I read a lot of Robert Bly over the years. He's an American poet, quite along in years now, but still 
still around. Um, and that was definitely a, a bit of an exercise I set myself because those lines are actually, of his are actually in the subsequent poem. Okay, so, so what's a gloss? Well, there's a form called a glossa, which uh, uh, the Canadian poet P.K. Page made famous. She did a whole book of glosses, um, where you actually use the other poet's lines in a very specific, I don't even know the form, in a very specific way in your poem. I didn't follow all the rules. Um, so a gloss is more like a, an examination of, of something. So it, it's not a strictly a glossa. I just used his lines mm-hmm. and built my poem around them. Mm-hmm. And it, in, a, in a way, it's a bit like, you know, his, his lines are seeds for my, for my poem. And I'm taking these isolated lines and seeing what, how they, what meaning they evoke in me, in my life, uh, you know, as opposed to what they, what they meant in his, his poem. Yeah, I really like those. I felt quite some despair, like I took it as despairing, but others it's, might not it's a bit, uh, you mean the his his, his lines oh, yeah. yeah i think there's a there's a sadness there definitely yeah but you know your poetry is so beautiful i was thinking that you know you include these epigraphs mm-hmm. but your own poetry is just as good oh well that's that great. follows that's yeah you. it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and uh yeah i think it's and i mean love is like it never gets tired <laughs> Oh no, universal oh human it's, experience. It's like the number one Love thing. and death. Yeah. Much are the, we do without them. <laughs> Taxes. Yeah. Wow. So do you want to read another one? Sure. It's whatever you like. Sure. Um, this one um, is called Cup. And it's one of several uh, poems in the book that are guzzles, which is a Persian form. Uh, um and when people do it in English, we don't always follow all the rules. But basically, it's a bunch of couplets, two-line stanzas with the same word at the end of each couplet. Um, so it gives you a chance to walk around something and kind of poke at it from other, from different angles and sort of ex- explore the different meanings of an idea or an object. And this one's called Cup. When our hands are small and cannot lift one up, our mothers and fathers help us drink the milk-filled cup. A father kneels, stares silently at his crying son, takes the small face between his hands, a pearl in a cup. There is no question. The first love is a crown of thorns, kisses like the dusty-throated seeking the rim of the cup. A concave world sinks and narrows to a ring, scummed in fine brown dregs, the fragrant coffee cup. Eye to eye, speaking softly over the rising steam, hearts are given and taken with a word, palms around warm cups. Nothing fills every cranny like this shared meal, bread torn and passed along, wine from the common cup. True love is a transplant. It slices us open and replaces vital organs. Dare we drain this cup? Long before starvation, thirst will have killed you. Wine in silver or water in two palms. Take and empty the cup. Yay! So there's a lot of imagery in that that's kind of, that I might read as like mystical or... Some of it, Like, yeah. 
the communion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how, like, how would you describe the meaning? Is like in not I want don't want you to dissect the mystery too much, but what would you perceive as kind of the message or meaning of that? Of the whole of the mm-hmm, poem as a whole. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I mean the thing about the Gazals is there isn't it, it, it it's it's a multiplicity right mm-hmm. it's the this is a thing and the ones that are in here are fairly common things this is a common thing and look at all the sort of implications of this common mm-hmm. thing and look at all the different values we ascribe to it all the different ways it it fills our lives and then of course like you say go into um, metaphorical meanings because mm-hmm. we're going from actual cups to um you know, cups of uh, cu- the the cup as a as a symbol of you know drinking your fate or your you know your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I would say the the, the guzzle in particular wouldn't have one meaning. Mm-hmm. It has all those different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess what came to my mind was this idea that kind of it's just I get it's just art that you get like. I'm being dumb right now, but oh, you know, you go see you, you go see a picture in mm-hmm. a, a gallery, and it's like you take different meanings from it based on your own perception. So, right. from my own perception, I just took it as like human love isn't a replacement for that divine love, right? If right, I sort of read it as you know the communion or the holy grail that mm-hmm. is this sort of divine love, and we get caught up in human love. But that was maybe more just no, my train think, of thought as you were reading no, it. I think that I think that's absolutely in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a beautiful, amazing poem. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I think we should maybe wrap up. Okay. I'm really sad because oh, that was, no, worries, no, no, I mean, I actually learned a lot about oh, poetry. That's super. I'm glad. And it's a wonderful book. So tell us about your event. Okay. So this coming Sunday, uh, April 27th, uh, at seven o'clock at the Cottage Bistro, which is on Main Street, uh, and I believe about 30th Avenue. Um, and Rodney DeCrew, the uh, uh, local musician and poet, will be performing with me. And he might even be reading some of his poems. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So, and we might at, we might be giving away some little bonsai trees as door prizes. Oh, nice. So there you go. Well, I've got a song by Rodney DeCrew oh, up here to play. There's a few. Fantastic. Uh, Stupid Boy, do you know that one? Sacred Ground. There's just some of them look like live clips so they might be not ah, as good do you have spinning wheel anywhere i can let me look for oh. it i you know i've heard his name around so much but i don't i don't think i've ever seen him oh he's fantastic fantastic writer really great musician uh this is rodney DeCrew and ida nielsen doing spinning wheel oh that'd be fantastic she replaced me in my old band ah! but i i don't <laughs> but, i don't resent her but That's no, fine. no no bitterness <laughs> <laughs> um well, I quit. I did quit, and then she replaced me, so no bitterness there at all. And that was, like, so long ago. Um, well, thank you, Diane Tucker. And so go see her April 27th at the Cottage Bistro, and she read from her new book, Bonsai Love. So thank you so much for coming in. Oh, you're and very welcome, Sarah. Really this great. is Rodney DeCrew and Ida Nielsen and his song, Spinning Wheels. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
I stand at the razor's edge As these lights burn through my head And despite every word I've said I praise this spinning wheel And with everything I make And with every breath I take Even though I shall break I praise this spinning wheel Doxa Documentary Film Festival discovers new forms of nonfiction film, everything from mountain gorillas to cartoon ponies and the men who love them, with a special spotlight program, Secrets and Lies, that examines the art of deception. The festival is happening May 2nd to 11th. For more information, go to www.doxafestival.ca. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts downtown at... The Baker and the Chef, Bango and T-Shirts, Cherry Bomb, House of Vintage, Beat Street Records, Down Levy Snack Bar, The Fall Tattooing, Fortune Song Club, His Boutique, Pacific Cinematheque, Perch, The Portside Pub, Save on Meats, Vinyl Records, and Zoo Shop. Wow, it sure does pay to be a friend of CITR 
find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus. Go online to www.citr.ca. Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me. For sure, that's what friends are for. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley, and you're listening to The Arts Report. Did I say that already? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think you should say it again. Just so you're listening know. to The Arts Report. I'm here with James Connell, one of my favorite people. Oh, we always have so much fun together. <laughs> and James is here to tell us about UN slash A. Is that how you say it? <laughs> We're going to find out. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to tomorrow is finding out exactly how to say it. It's, yeah, I, I've been saying una or un slash a. Right. I don't know. It's, it's UN slash A. Ballet BC's uh, premiere work that's coming out tomorrow. Opening night. Yay. That's yeah, going to be at the Queen Elizabeth Theater from April 24th to 26th. So this weekend at 8 p.m. Um... It's going to be three world premieres, three original works by three different choreographers. Um, very avant-garde. Uh, the first is Jiang... They're all very, very foreign, too. So, like, really... Oh, dear. I apologize if I butcher these names. But the first is Gianconda Barbuto. She's from uh, Montreal. Oh, sorry, she's from Toronto, but uh, she's been working in Montreal. She studied at the BAMP Center and the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. And she dances with uh, Le Grand Ballet Canadien in Montreal. And her, her work has been described as explosively physical, Ooh. witty, and theatrical. <laughs> so that's the first one. Second is Gustavo Ramiro Sanzano. Uh, he is from Valencia, Spain. Um, he is the artistic director at Luna Negra Dance in Chicago, which is very well known in the dance community. Um, and this is uh, BC Ballet's Gustavo's first Canadian collaboration. So that's kind of exciting. Um, he uh, has been described as highly original, emotionally fierce, and sensual. I like it. And I've seen pictures of him. Sensual is very, very He's great. hot? Oh, yeah, he's hot. <laughs> 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 he's not going to be dancing, though. Too bad. Maybe I'll see him in the crowd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he says he takes about a year to develop the choreography. Uh, he likes to do a lot of work with the sets and costumes so that... As he says, no part, neither scenery, sets, costumes, or dancing takes a precedence, but they all function as a balanced whole. So um, that compared to some of uh, Ballet BC's work from last year, where it's very, very naked stage, not a lot going on. I'm interested to see what kind of sets and costumes will be for that piece. Yet it doesn't give you an idea of exactly no. what. Like it could be in a forest, it could be... Anything. Poolside. We don't know. Underwater, <laughs> space. Yeah, space would be good. <laughs> Who knows? Um, the third choreographer is uh, Cayetano Soto, and uh, he's also Spanish. He studied in Barcelona and later at The Hague. Um, he's described as having an abundance of originality, and um, he uh, relates his work to architecture. He says that you have to have a very strong structure and you have to have something to say before you can even start to become creative. Um, so those are three choreographers that I'm looking to learn more about tomorrow. Your pronunciation was excellent, by the way. Yes, oh, absolutely. What made you want to go? Um, sorry. Um, 
Well, uh, first of all, just ballet in general is just an amazing art form. It's something that's so powerful and it communicates completely. Uh, it's such an international way of communication and it's such a humane experience. Um, I just love ballet. I just love ballet. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And then I saw a couple of um, Ballet BC's performances last year and the group of dancers they have right now are so captivating um, that I just I just want to see them as frequently as possible. Um, I don't know if listeners have seen the ads for this. They're all over the buses and that. Um, it's a black man with his arms sprawled out uh, and it's all his shoulders and chest and there's like his face is down so you can't see his facial features at all. Um, that's Gilbert Small. He's one of the principals. I think he's from Baltimore. I forget. But... Um, I saw him last year. He was in Giselle. He was the bitchy boyfriend in Giselle. Uh, he was in Encore as well. And um, he played he played the um, kind of uh, spurned boyfriend in Giselle. And he just gave stank face the whole way through. <laughs> what is stank face? It's exactly what it sounds like. I don't... I, I can't even begin. It, it's a dirty look. A dirty look. Because okay. Giselle was stealing his boyfriend, yeah. right? So he was... Oh, man. He's just so, such good, such good fish. <laughs> <laughs> but he is so powerful. I mean, um, a lot of the dancers are very frail and kind of, not frail, but fragile and mm-hmm. long and thin and very lean. And he is just, he he's like a horse. He's just Whoa. so strong and so powerful. And um, it's so funny because you're sitting there on stage looking, you're watching him dance and he looks like he's a million feet tall and just, you know, his wingspan in that photo looks like it's four meters wide at least, right? And um, I ran into him uh, at Pride last year. Ballet BC had a booth and it's so funny. I was totally starstruck for one. And I I, I had a couple of um, jubilations by this point. <laughs> what do you mean jubilations? <laughs> Libations? Marias. Okay. <laughs> Jubilations. Libations I like it. Libations is what I obviously <laughs> meant to say. I think. Yeah, I had, a little, I had one too many Tia Marias, and the sun was pretty strong. But when, it's, when, when a Tia Maria, the libation, is combined with pride and the hot ballet BC dancer, that's a jubilation. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what you call it. <laughs> anyway, I ran into him and I was, Gilbert Small. And he was he was surprised to be recognized at all. I don't think I don't think he gets a lot of fanfare on the streets. <laughs> but um he's not a million feet tall. He's in fact a ballet he's a ballet dancer, which they're rarely like I don't think he even came up to my chest. And uh <laughs> It was one of those things where I was so starstruck and then so surprised at how small he was. <laughs> I thought, oh, you look very different when you're on stage. Was he nice to you? Oh, he was such a sweetheart. And he stayed and he had a beer with us and he chatted Aww. for a bit about ballet. And yeah, he was so nice. So I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out. I've seen, there's a few different dancers they have featured in the ads. There's another one with a woman who's got her leg really stretched oh, yeah. out. And then the other one at a right angle. Yeah. 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 I don't know her name. But um, yeah, they have a really good group of dancers there. And with these choreographers, it's going to be fascinating to see what turns out. Yeah. Turns out. That was a pun. Do you get it? No. Oh, turns out. Like... <laughs> Like, just to. for those who might be listening and don't know what James means, you turn, you, it's a position in ballet, you have your feet 
your heels touching and you you turn out your feet. Yeah, just pointing wow, your toes. Wow, you're to really the into ballet. Yeah, My I used, I used goodness. I didn't know that. Yeah. But it, during the football off season, I did tap ballet and jazz. Wait, did you also play football? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you have an abundance of originality, <laughs> like the choreograph- choreographer. Now, this is a world premiere. And yeah, I think it's really important to support the big Vancouver arts organizations and the small ones too but ballet bc the opera keep them going keep Mm -hmm. them strong and so this is um and then they're doing it sounds like a couple of other ones that are more traditional later on in the season or they've already passed the nutcracker always a favorite oh yes very nice um but yuna as james said is april 24th to 26th and it's a world premiere of three new works so Mm -hmm. that's awesome and you're going to opening night yeah fabulous what am i gonna wear i don't know (laughs) I really don't. <laughs> well, I went to see a play last night. Yeah. And it? I really want you to go see it. I want everyone to go see it. Like, I just can't say enough about this play. Okay. So, I had tickets to go. I had one ticket to go because it's it's they'll only seat 40 people oh, at a wow. time. And I was actually in the emergency room on... Monday night I had these like heart palpitations and I phoned the nurse line and they're like you need to go to emergency and I was like oh my god and then I was like in the in the new west emergency room at one in the morning just going oh my god like it was rough and dirty and I was anyways I have to have more tests but you must have not been waiting long if you had heart palpitations (laughs) yeah they actually did get me in pretty quickly and gave me a EEG which was of course normal and then I'm like oh my god why did I come but you want to be careful right especially women have subtle signs of heart issues so anyways so then it was Tuesday and I was really tired because I'd been at the emergency room till three in the morning I was like I really don't want to go to the play I really I was like you know not wanting to go almost bailed and I thought no I can't bail I have to go and I'm so glad I went is the best thing I've ever seen so it's called Killer Joe and it started April 15th, and it goes to May 4th. And I actually interviewed the um, the director, Chelsea Haberlin, Haberlin, last week. And I kind of didn't know much about the play, and, you know, we had a good chat, but I didn't. it didn't really sink in until I went last night. So it's a famous play written by a playwright, Tracy Letts. He's the one who wrote, you know, Assange, Orange County. Oh, no. It's, it's a famous film. Do you, oh. <laughs> Oh, do you know that? You don't know that film? No. It's like, I don't know, it's like an ensemble film with um, Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. It just came out. Oh, it really? might have been nominated for an Oscar or... I don't get out much. Yeah. Anyways. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, and why would you go there if you're going to go out? But um, what I mean is, like, it's a totally pro script. Like, a oh, okay. really well done, dramatic script. Okay. But what's interesting about it is it's it's kind of, they call it site-specific, or it's this total immersion experience. So they set up a trailer in the parking lot of the Italian Cultural Center. And it's this whole little area. So you go in, and there's a trailer where they sell concessions and the kind of a barbecue pit set up all 70s. And then when the, the production starts, you go into the set. The whole play takes place in a trailer, this trashy trailer family. They fit 40 people. They in fit. Trailer. It's like pretty big. 
and it's all made out like a 1970s trailer. Like it wow. smells like smoke. Everything's really oh, dirty. There's a big Confederate flag. <laughs> they had like this macrame owl on the wall. And I was like, oh my God, my family had that macrame owl in the 70s. Like it cans, like so you, and old chairs that you sit in. And, um, and then the play starts and it's like riveting. And they warn you, right? Like um, they warn you as you go in. It's uh, got like sex, violence, like traumatic things all and the good stuff. all the good stuff. And, and then they're like, are you okay with this? And then you're like, okay. And then um, you go in and it's, so it's this family of a trashy family and they hire a contract killer to kill off their mother. Oh. So it's like a dad and a stepmom and two kind of kids around the age of 20. And they, they hire this contract killer, killer Joe. And so then it's just this drama that unfolds between them. That's totally unbelievably brilliant. And you're right there. Like I was, so you and I are about two feet away from each other. I was like two feet away from all the actors at the dining room table. Um, And there's total nudity. Like the first actress comes out like pantless, right? So the first thing you see as the play starts is this pantless actress. And they're like screaming at each other. And they're making coffee and you smell the coffee and they're microwaving stuff and you smell the smells and they're smoking. And like I came home smelling of smoke and Kentucky fried chicken. Um, And I saw a naked man for the first time in a really long time. And like... And, like, it just went right by my face. Like, and then they get into these intense, uh, like, sexual violence and, and fights. And, like, I just saw, looked over at one woman. And she was, like, kind of shaking. Like, she looked actually pretty traumatized. Um, audience member? Yeah. Oh. Because there's this, like, rape scene going on, oh, you know. No. But it's it's so brilliant. And it's sort of a light premise of hiring this killer. Mm-hmm. But the kind of dark things that happen... Um, and to see their faces, like normally in theater, actors, you don't get to see their faces that much. Yeah, they're close up, yeah. Yeah, and it was like just the, the, the visceral intensity of their interactions and seeing their faces. Wow. And like there's this thing that I just found out about since I started the Arts Report, the fourth wall, breaking the fourth mm-hmm. wall. I hate that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're there just wanting to relax and enjoy some theater. Then they're talking to you or something. I don't like like that. I just want to be passive. So this didn't actually break the fourth wall, which I really liked. You were totally immersed in it, but they never looked at the audience. You're just like a total fly on the wall. Yeah. It was, and it's like 25 bucks. And, you know, she said they've had a few sold out performances. If they sell out more, they can extend the run. (laughs) And I mean, these, I'll just say the name of the actors. The actors were top notch um especially the guy who played the killer joe colby wilson and he's done a lot of tv and film um including like arctic air and he was so yeah so scary and he was naked for a few minutes um and the young girl Dottie, she's like quite a simple person like a simple kind of mentally disturbed person and killer joe kind of takes her under his wing in this threatening kind of sexual way Mm. um then there's the stepmom emma slip charla she was really good and i mean when i say they're pulling these all-out performances there's stuff i've seen i never even imagined like i never even imagined could or would happen but it happened and i saw it is it uncomfortable though oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) 
some of it like and then at the very last just before it ends they have this huge fight and they're throwing like just two feet away from me they throw the kitchen table they start throwing all the stuff like i don't know it was well choreographed they could have hit somebody on the head you probably do yeah they had like a fight coordinator and stuff but i mean you're just like and and from a psychological perspective you would respond to these things as if it was real, right? You're not actually separated by any distance. No, you're like yeah. two feet away from someone screaming, like your adrenaline's going to go up. Yeah. And you're seeing their faces in distress. And, um, you know, one, yeah, there, I mean, it's, you have to be ready. A lot of people might not be comfortable, yeah. you know, so you have to be a little bit tough. Um, but there's like no moment where you're like, oh, kind of drifting off thinking of what, you know, your to-do list for the next day. It's like every moment you're just completely immersed. It's so I'm kind of ranting, but that's because it was really, really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long is the run? It goes till May 4th. Um, it said, it says sex, blood and comedy served up with a side of grits. And I mean, they had like real Kentucky fried chicken, like macaroni and cheese that they were microwaving and eating. And they were, opening beers and it was all real um it says this production contains smoke violence nudity coarse language and simulated sex this is a show for adults absolutely um tickets at the door are cash only audience capacity is limited to 37 people for performances you do need to book in advance but tickets are already cheap 25 dollars for regular people students and seniors twenty dollars but if you go to oh the last one was last night they had a few two-for-one performances but those ones are past um but it's a brilliant like brilliant script brilliant acting and the the surroundings like it was an adventure i came home and felt like yeah i went to texas and lived in a shitty trailer for (laughs) sorry um but I was thinking, too, like, if it had been a bad script and bad acting, it would have been really awkward. Yeah, you're stuck, right? Like, you you're stuck, out. and you would really feel the cringeness. But there was none of that. Yeah. And some, like, quite a few newspapers and stuff have done reviews. And I thought, you know, they made a few criticisms, and I thought, that's really lame. They just feel they have to criticize something. Yeah, you have to find something, yeah. Um, but, no, it's, I've been just ranting to anyone. And, like, go, go. So I hope you go. Well, yeah. Well, after it's, that, it'd be hard not to. Yeah, it's really worth it. It's a really good night out, a cheap night out, cheap beer if you like beer. And you can drink beer in the trailer. Yeah, you bring your love beer it. in. I'm going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you will love it. And there's stuff you'll really. I mean, there's Sign oh me my up. god, like the Kentucky Fried Chicken thing. I want to <laughs> tell you, but I don't, don't I don't want to give it away. Um, Just hopefully it doesn't smack me in the side of the face. When they no, but you know, I kept having to pull my legs back because I <laughs> cross my legs and then they're running by and I don't want to like trip them or make yeah. them uncomfortable. So they have to be constantly aware of the audience around <laughs> as well. But oh, it's amazing. So I'm, that's, I'm just going to stop talking about that. Um, there's another event. Not a sponsor. Killer Joe. Not, Not a sponsor. A sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad I went. It distracted me. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about an event that's close to our hearts at CITR, the Vancouver Peace Choir. That's because our station manager, Brenda, is in the Vancouver Peace Choir. And she was on around Christmas talking about... At Christmas, I thought they had a Christmas concert, so I invited Brenda in to talk about it. She's like, oh, you're looking at last year's like <laughs> website. We don't have a Christmas concert. So I said I would do something. And this, this is their new performance. It's really happening Saturday, April 26th, and Sunday, April 27th. 
Sunday, April 27th. Um, the Saturday performance is at St. Philip's Anglican Church at 7 p.m. And the Sunday performance is at the Planetarium Star Theater at the McMillan Space Center. Actually, you know what? I might go to that because it's really fun to see things at the McMillan Theater. It's like the seats are back and the roof can contract. Is that? So the you know the McMillan Space Center. You know. <gasps> oh, the beautiful white yeah. building mm-hmm. and kits. But um, Vancouver Peace Choir they do a lot of modern stuff and they're very like a very good choir. So it says an e- it's called Blue Ocean Floor, an evening of music celebrating the tempestuousness, mystery, wonder, love, and peace of the oceans. And there's a film, I guess, that goes oh. along with it. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, um, there was some, they listed some of the composers they'll be singing. They do do a lot of modern compose, composers. But one of the composers they did talk about um, was Arvo Part. Do you know him? No. He's like a brilliant modern composer. He kind of writes in the style of kind of medieval church music, but it's 20th century. Mm. Uh, He's really one of the best 20th century performers that we have, and he's not known enough. I was going to play something, but actually there's something else I want to play instead because there's an important event I want to tell you about before we wrap up, and then I want you to stay tuned um, what were the dates for that again? It's the the Vancouver Peace Choir is April 26th, yeah. Saturday. That's at St. Philip's Anglican Church at 7 p.m. And then Sunday, April 27th, it's at 7 p.m. at the Planetarium Star Theater. Mm, I want to go to that Yeah, one. so you can check it out at www.vancouverpeacechoir.org. So, and tickets you can get at brownpapertickets.com nice. and also you can get tickets for killer joe at brownpapertickets.com one so, stop shop yeah there's such amazing stuff happening for arts in vancouver Uh-oh. i mean really and tomorrow you're going to una, un slash a una. una. <laughs> okay una. the last thing i want to talk about is something a friend of mine did a friend of mine reg he lives in toronto reg harkema he's become over the years, a very accomplished filmmaker, editor. And, okay, excuse me while I just do something here. In the meantime, Fuse, Vancouver Art Gallery is having Fuse this Friday as well. Which I'm super stoked about because I just renewed my membership and so it's free for members. You know if you're a student, which... Everyone in the world is, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get a yearly membership at the Vancouver Art Gallery for 40 bucks. Wow. No, I've never been to Fuse. It's super fun. It's really good. Because it's really casual. There's all these different kind of performances through the gallery. You can drink. That's really the number one thing that I look for in an art performance. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gone because it always seems so, like, crowded. It's hard to get in. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of the fun of it, too. It's kind of the, it's, you know, Friday night, downtown, art gallery, you know, put on a nice shirt. It's, uh, you, you run into people that you, you know, you know from, anyway, that's what I'm doing this Friday. Now, what about you your You've got a film? busy life. Now, Reg Harkema, sorry, is my friend. He's a filmmaker and film editor, and he has been having increasing success, and he just made a film about Alice Cooper, Ooh. the ultimate rock star of the twisted and bizarre. So the film is called Super Duper Alice Cooper, and the Canadian premiere, he did, just was in Tribeca, the Tribeca Film Festival, um, premiering it and it went over really well 
And then now it's opening in Toronto this Monday, April 28th. And Alice Cooper will be there. What? Which is so cool. No way. Um, and so this is the little write-up. It says, from the preachers, he was a preacher's son, I guess, to glam metal godfather, Vincent Fernier's transformation to Alice Cooper is rock le- legend history. So I guess his name was Vincent Fernier. <laughs> And then and he, he became, and he it. changed it. Uh, animated photos and interviews describe his early days in Los Angeles with the Spiders, dubbed the worst band in LA, and his later discovery by Frank Zappa. And now he has his own radio show that's, Alice Cooper has his own radio show that's syndicated, wow. like, widely. Uh, and Reginald Harkma depicts the life of this Jekyll and Hyde music icon. Um, using a decadent stew of documentary archive materials and rock opera. So it's, but what's interesting is that it's, you're going to have to Google it because I couldn't find um, my own link. So it's opening at the Scotiabank Theatre in Toronto, Monday, Monday, April 28th. So Reg will be there, Alice Cooper will be there, but they're also simulcasting it out to theaters across Canada. So you can go to a number of different cineplexes in the Vancouver area and see the opening night in Toronto. So Alice Cooper, Reg, and then they'll play the film. So you can be there, except in Vancouver, not in Toronto. So I'd I'd really like to go. Um, That's cool. I really want to see it because he makes great films. He's made quite a few, and I wanted to have him on, but it all just came up too fast because I'm going to be away next week. I'm going to Halifax for a conference. Oh, you're going to Halifax? Mm-hmm. Oh, who's going to be here, Megan? Nobody's going to be here Nobody's unless you want to be here. Oh, well, I might be here. Okay. No one's going to be here. We can't let the arts part go down. Well, I, I send an email. We'll talk after. We'll talk. We'll start um, this But so, yes, I won't be here, but someone will be here. And uh, we'll be back on May 7th reporting on Brief Encounters. Oh, right. I was thinking, aren't I coming back next week? Well, that's that next week. Yeah. That's the following. So you're going to be doing something on Brief Encounters. Yes. I'm going to be speaking to David Bloom. Good. Um, it, Brief Encounters is, uh, well, you know, we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that on May 7th. And what happens next week is still unknown. But I want to play a song by Alice Cooper to see us out. And then I want you to stay tuned for Arts On Air. I listened to this song this morning before work, and it's so nice. So make sure to check out, just Google Hot Docs, Super Duper Alice Cooper, and that'll find link you to the information where you can go to in a few cineplexes around Vancouver to check out you know, the opening of this doc in Toronto. So this is a song called Alice Cooper, I Never Cry, and it's a power ballad. So I'm going to play that for you as we go. Thank you so much, James, for coming in. And uh, you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And we're on every Wednesday between 5 and 6. So here's Alice Cooper, I Never Cry. Stay tuned for UBC Arts on Air. Makes me shiver to the bone Shakes me, babe Just a heartache I got caught in my eye And you know I never cry I never cry 
Sometimes I drink more than I need Until the TV's dead and gone I may be lonely But I'm never alone And the night May pass me by But I never cry Take away 